Now, in the beginning, I wasn't 100% sure about making a podcast. I thought it was kind of scary and I didn't know if people actually wanted to listen to what we had to say. But it turns out that they did. And uh, now I'm really happy that I did not let that doubt in the beginning get in the way. And uh, honestly, the best tip I have for people who want to do science communication is to just try it out and get started. And you will learn along the way. Welcome everybody to the 50th episode of the Struggling Scientist podcast. We are a podcast by scientists, for scientists, anyone science adjacent and perhaps even hobbyist. My name is Zanna and I'm here with my co-host Jerome. Hi. So we've reached the 50th episode of our podcast and to be honest, it feels a little unreal and amazing at the same time. We've reached so many goals in the past almost two years of making this podcast and we're going to be discussing what it has been like in this crazy science communication journey. We also have a really nice Q&A part where we'll answer questions from our fans. So let's start. Wow, the 50th episode. I almost cannot believe it. We have done and grown so much. And I know it has been our dream to do this, but it feels almost unreal. Speak for yourself, it is unreal. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking seriously, though, it's amazing like how something that we just started out as kind of like a hobby project kind of grew to what it is now. and. I'm surprised by the amount of opportunities that keep coming from it. Um, Yeah, that we never expected when we first went into it, right? So in that sense, I think it's uh, a good moment with episode 50 to highlight some of those uh, amazing bloopers that we've recorded throughout the podcast. Uh, (laughs) Just kidding, of course. But we will uh, talk about more uh, interesting stuff regarding our science communication journey during this episode. Yeah, well, don't tempt me. I can fill an entire episode with all the uhs and ums I cut out. And our dogs would definitely also have quite a role in this blooper reel. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it has been such a crazy experience. And it's really crazy to me also now that we're getting sponsors a bit more regularly to make this podcast and everything we do possible. That like we made it this far and it's it's going well, I would say. Um, And of course... We started out as a podcast, but we have added many things to it over time. We'll also talk a little bit about that. Um, But they have also worked out really well. Uh, And I don't know, it's just crazy that 2,500 people a month now listen to even just this podcast. And then there's even more people following us on social media and reading our blogs and everything. It's just crazy. I I don't know. It feels like we do nothing special, (laughs) but at the same time, it, it, it works. So, yeah. Yeah, no, indeed. I'm I'm still surprised. Yeah, and to come back on the social media stuff specifically, like, I mean, when we got started with it, we had no idea what we were doing, right? I mean, mm. we we knew we heard some stuff about Twitter that it was quite polarizing and Instagram. Well, you were a little bit on Instagram. I never went on that platform at all. I had hadn't tried Twitter since since like my teenagers years. Mm-hmm. And Instagram I never really got into. So yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, it was definitely a learning curve for us to get started with, at the very least, those social media platforms. And it was hard because neither of us had any idea what we were doing. So we were just trying out some stuff and looking online to see like, what, what could we do? What, how, what would people maybe respond to and like? And we just kept at it consistently, I guess. And yeah, finally, here we are. And I think personally... For me, what was the most surprising thing, at least with regarding to the social media, was how fast like we managed to grow in the last year. So I'm talking specifically now about Twitter, because I look back at like what we started with in 2020, in 2022, on January, and we like 
grew by 10 times what we were at the start. So that, wow. that's ridiculous. Yeah. So No, it has been really crazy. And I mean, I also like that you say consistency because I think that one has been one of the, the main reasons why we've made it this far. Because we, we kept on doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Even if if the the metrics for an episode weren't so good. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, we, we just kept on going and making it better and trying to create the best thing that we could. Yeah, indeed. And I think we just by sticking to our schedule of like, okay, we need a new episode every week or every two weeks, that really just helped, right? And we were really passionate about creating something really cool and really great. So Yes, for helped. sure. But um, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little. <laughs> we should start at the beginning, of course. So we started this podcast in April of 2021, the 12th to be exact. It was when our first episode ever came out. It was only seven minutes long, so I'm not sure if it counts as a real episode, but okay. It was still a baby. <laughs> and sometimes I wonder what we were thinking at the time to, such, such a, to start such a crazy adventure, which it turned out to be in the end. Um, and I remember trying to push you to do something with your dream of starting, starting a podcast and making that. But you originally wanted to do something with investing, right? Oh, we're bringing that up, huh? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, so initially I wanted to start a podcast that was a little bit more focused on investing for beginners, I guess. Because at the time I was also getting into investing, so I was very much a beginner at investing. And what better way to learn to, to invest than sort of force yourself to learn and making content about it that you would put out into the real world for people to listen to, right? So that's that that's how I wanted to get started with podcasting. And I did I did get started with it. That that podcast still exists if you really want to find it. I'm not <laughs> going to tell you what it's called. Though. <laughs> <laughs> so and uh, yeah, I kept at it for a little bit and then uh, eventually we both really got started with making the struggling scientist podcast. Right. Wasn't it called the Noob Investing Podcast? I hate you a little. (laughs) No, it's fine. No, but it had a couple of really fun episodes, I would say. And it was really useful to have that experience when we started with this podcast, because you sort of already knew the basics and had spent quite a lot of time investigating how to do this. I got to flounder around and make some mistakes beforehand, yes. Ah, exactly. And then you had me, so everything was better Um, (laughs) (laughs) for this podcast, of course. But um, I did not feel like talking about investing so much. I only wanted to talk about science because that's my expertise and investing definitely is not. There's a lot of information that goes into an annual report of Google. Yes, and, yeah. yeah, not my thing at all. But wasn't I right though? We, should, we, we had to start a science podcast. Have I finally convinced you that this is the, right, the way to go? <laughs> I'm on this side. <laughs> no, for sure. Now, in the beginning, I wasn't 100% sure about making a podcast. I thought it was kind of scary, and I didn't know if people actually wanted to listen to what we had to say. But it turns out that they did. And uh, now I'm really happy that I did not let that doubt in the beginning get in the way. And uh, honestly, the best tip I have for people who want to do science communication is to just try it out and get started. There's nothing stopping you as long as you uh, can put your own mind and time towards it. And you will learn along the way. We love all love to experiment after all, which is uh, great in this sense. But anyway, you were a bit hesitant in the beginning to start a science podcast, right? Yeah, in the beginning, for me personally, I wasn't in the best place with my PhD. And I sort of really struggled in 
sort of finding the energy to also talk about more science and more PhD related things, I guess, to, to a potential wide audience. Mm. At the time, it wasn't that many people, but you never know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, ultimately, I think working on the struggling scientists and all the awesome, awesome stuff we managed to do with it provided me a little bit of extra support to keep going when things were not going as great with my PhD projects, for example. So I hope what we can do with the struggling scientists and have done with the struggling scientists is emulate that feeling that I got and trying to overcome the struggles of the PhD um, not only for myself, but also for our listeners and our social media followers as well. Yeah, that has really been one of our main goals with that podcast and also everything else we do from the blog to the social media pages to even the memes that we help other PhD students or other scientists in other stages of their career to find back the love for science in difficult times. Like this podcast really helped do for us too. So um, we started this podcast like we said, in 2021. But the problem with podcasts is that they are really hard to discover for new people. There's not a good way to promote um, on Spotify, for example. There's no good SEO to find it. You cannot just type in in Google and find all the podcasts you want. And that's really difficult, I would say. But we, of course, wanted to get our podcast to the people, uh, our kind of people, of course, <laughs> the scientists. The people. Um which kind of led us down the rabbit hole that is called social media. And uh, you very quickly offered yourself up to figure this out. What the was fool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what was it like and why do you think it grew to be so successful? Honestly, uh, there was just a lot of trial and error in trying to figure out how Twitter and Instagram work. Apparently, they're not the same. As uh, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they do very different things and prefer very different content, apparently. Uh-huh. So, yeah, obviously we were still, quote unquote, just a podcast at the time, but we couldn't just post about an episode every day, for example, to, to promote, you know, especially when we only had like four or five episodes that gets mm. quite repetitive quite quickly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we needed to try and spice things up a little bit to get people's attention on social media that they can pay attention to our episodes as well when they come out. And that's where the memes come in. <laughs> So yeah, what started out as just a uh, funny, I'll just make a quick meme here and there, quickly grew into a dedicated meme database of over 900 plus memes. I feel this almost started with the, the thing that you wanted to prove that you were funnier than me. And sadly, it turns out you are. I don't think I'm funnier than you. I just make a lot of memes. And I think if you make enough memes, some of them will be good. And that, those are the ones that you need to promote. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I think making the memes have definitely helped us grow on social media as well as fast as we did in any case, uh, mm. especially for Twitter. And I think along the way as well, we also can just, we don't just stick with just making memes and promoting the episode. We've also tried out different things like threads and carousels and stuff like that. And we keep constantly bouncing ideas off each other. Like, do we think this could work? What about this? And I think that also makes it interesting for us to, to, to stay on social media and keep working on social media and seeing what works and adapting and stuff like that. Mm. I mean, after all, ultimately, we are scientists who just like to experiment, right? Oh, very true. We are very excited to be able to introduce you to our new sponsor, Jenny AI. Not only does Jenny make our podcast possible, it also makes our life as scientists so much easier. Jenny is an all-in-one writing assistant that has everything that we have been missing in other AI tools. Yes, first off, unlike other AI tools, it actually finds accurate information in papers and cites its sources. 
It does not make things up and only uses real verified information that you can then also check the source of. Second, it's a writing assistant trained for academic papers and helps you write your paper by suggesting the next sentence or the end of your sentence. Or, if you get really stuck, you can ask it to write an entire paragraph, completely removing the writer's block I so often struggle with when I don't know the right words to make my point. It helped me write an introduction to a paper I've been struggling with in half an hour. It even suggests which papers to cite. You can add your own library or search the entire internet for papers. Just type the add symbol to easily add a reference and it gets automatically added to the reference list. And the last thing we absolutely love is that it has an AI chatbot that can see your document and give feedback on how to improve your manuscript. Or you can ask it questions, such as what are the potential therapeutic benefits of dot dot dot, and it will search through the papers for you for the answer. I can only say that my stress level has gone down significantly since I started using Jenny. Check out the free version now at thestrugglingscientist.com slash Jenny. And if you love it, use the code SCIENCE20 for a 20% discount. Yeah, I also love all the, all the useful threads and carousels and also blogs with useful information for scientists that we have now added uh, to our social media accounts also to promote. It's, it's just great to help people and that's what we want to, want to do. And now we have another way to do that. Um, and social media has been really important for us with everything from just getting our podcast known to the world, but also with guests reaching out to us that they would really love to be on our podcast. And now even getting sponsors that for a large part also down to our social media where people are able to find us. And it's amazing that people know how to find us and all the responses we have been getting have been amazing. And we love hearing from other scientists about their experiences and it has been so lovely to hear that sometimes we actually do help people. Uh, and even the memes get amazing reactions because people identify with the struggles uh, that are shown in the memes, of course, and then get the feeling that they are not alone in the struggle. And that's really what we want, that, that people know that uh, you're not alone. And, well, I would say it's normal, but it shouldn't be normal, <laughs> you know? It shouldn't. <laughs> Some of these problems shouldn't be there. So I don't want to necessarily call it normal, but you are at least not alone in the struggle. And um, it's not weird to feel this way. Uh, and next to our social media, we, of course, also have a website which has been an adventure to make and quite a skill to learn also, a lot of fun. But um, I have recently redesigned it completely because I wasn't happy with it yet, but I am very happy with it now. And on it, we also have space for guest blogs um, where we really try to highlight also uh, other, people, other people's blogs that they write for us. And then, uh, which is really great for people who would love to get into science communication, but don't know where to find an audience because that's also something we struggled with in the beginning. And we have figured that out now and we want to share that with the world, basically. Yeah, no, 100% agree. I mean, I'm, I'm always in awe of how much time, effort and attention to, to detail that you've put into the website <laughs> and redesigning it and making it better. So because when we first started out, we talked about potentially having guest blogs on the website and stuff like that as well. But now it's actually happening. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm super happy with how you managed to do it all. And we're all, we're not just highlighting the content of these well guest blog writers, but we're also highlighting the guest writers themselves a little bit. Yeah. And because I also feel like that is something that happens a lot in academia, where it's like we talk about the the papers, but we don't really highlight the people behind that make all these amazing discoveries and stuff like that as much. And it would be nice to like highlight them a little bit more, at least in our guest blogs. No, for sure. We don't also don't want to take credit for it when somebody else wrote it, right? Mm -hmm. So 
uh, we now also have a guest blog of somebody who also does courses in his specific thing. And then he also gets a chance to uh, why he's so great at that. So that's great. It's really a win-win. And of course, we're also start going to add courses on science communication to our to our <laughs> repertoire of things we're doing. And uh, we have already given some of these science communication courses just here in the Netherlands at uh, congresses and things like that. But we are also going to do them online so that more people can join in because, um, of course, our type of science communication is very international. And we are very excited about sharing everything we have learned about science communication, but also productivity courses and a workshop about work-life balance. And all of them are coming soon. You can already read about them on our website in the courses section, of course. Um, but soon we'll also have some dates coming up. So we're really excited about getting that started. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm honestly surprised that there aren't more courses or resources just sort of readily available for PhD students and I guess academics who kind of want to get started with science communication or maybe perhaps improve their productivity or work-life balance uh, just available online or anything like that. I think that's kind of a shame because, I mean, academics work so hard trying to contribute to si developing scientific knowledge, but so many of the things that they discover, so it gets published, but no one, how should I put this? No one really, and they don't really get a chance to talk about it as much and bring it to the light and bring it to the forefront with people. They don't really get to practice their, the science communication of it. Mm. And I feel, I really think that's a shame. And I think we, it, we would really love to help with that in any shape, way or form that we can, since we're. We have a little bit more experience with that now. Um, I also think we're, with regards to productivity and work-life balance, I don't think it's impossible to find work-life balance and feel a bit more productive uh, given how hard academics work. But the information on how to sort of best do that is, it's obscure a little bit. It's harder to it's find. It's also not very specific to mm. scientists. No, indeed. Yeah, oftentimes it's like specific to to business people or mm. something like that. Like if you're in a corporation or something like that, and it it sort of feels hard to adjust that for people in people in academia. So yeah, we 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 have tried out some of those things and tried to improve it in our own lives uh, in trying to combine that with doing a PhD and also doing this podcast and finishing up our thesis. And no, for sure. If anything, we were very productive. Yeah, well, hell, we have uh, we got a puppy and it grew. <laughs> while we were it's doing our thesis yes <laughs> yeah no so we we tried out a lot of different things and they're they're we, still there <laughs> we overdid it at some points we we might we might like take Tone a little, little a bit, bit <laughs> too much at the time <laughs> but um yeah no yes. i still it, feel like we got the work-life balance in there yes for sure and yeah so I, I, we hope, I would say, that uh, through our own experiences, we can help out some people with these courses and, yeah, just provide some extra extra support and utility out there into the real world for, for people. Yeah, for sure. And I would say, back to the science communication part of it, mm -hmm. we have, well, not necessarily courses, but we have attended some congresses and some courses on those congresses about science communication. Um, and all of them are really focused on in-person science communication or journalism for a, a paper but there's so little information about like the online world mm -hmm. where you can reach so many people also international because science doesn't have borders in my opinion yeah exactly but this almost gets zero attention and there's no resources about how to get started with that and how to set it up and how to do it and 
how to make your social media platform more more visible or how to how to get then in the end even sponsor deals and stuff like that and it is just crazy to me because that i mean the influencer world is getting bigger and bigger of course and we should definitely also take advantage of that mm -hmm. to show all the cool things that science really are is and and all these cool things that the, the couple of science communications that there are uh, online are creating on Twitter, but also on Instagram and TikTok. You have really great ones. Mm -hmm. It's really crazy that that's not recognized more by, by the sort of, I don't know if that's an English, English thing to say, but the old guard mm -hmm. that is that is there, in especially in the Netherlands, uh, that do science communication, they, they have nothing with international stuff. And no. they do everything in Dutch and... It's just crazy to me and yeah. such a shame. No, for sure. And I mean, also for, for, I guess, specifically to the Netherlands, there are so many English speaking PhD students mm. that come from abroad to work here. It's sort of like you're not taking advantage of all these amazing people doing amazing research that would probably love to talk about their awesome research that they mm. traveled maybe halfway around the world to come do here. And that that's just a shame. And if we could really try to promote science communication a little bit better and really broaden it a little bit more i think that would be an added value that is really just amazing to add to the world because there's so much misinformation out there mm. people don't understand a lot of a lot of the science and hard work that goes into making like publishing a paper and really showing that something works a certain way and if we can make bring scientists to the forefront and have them combat this misinformation easily online and stuff like that and promote their own research, that I think that goes a long way into combating the misinformation out there. No, for sure. And I mean, of course, there is science communication going on. Mm -hmm. Those are usually the hot topics like Corona, for example, in the recent years. Yeah. Or this really fancy study from a doctor you know, something more translatable research mm -hmm. and fundamental research like we do is absolutely, there isn't even talking about science communication no. about that. And also our institute doesn't focus it on that at all. I don't think they, they would know how anyway. <laughs> and I think there is definitely a possibility to do that. And I, I think there's also really cool science communicators who, who do that and who talk about their science in a really clear and nice way and spread the word word across the world. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, that's, I think, the beauty of like a platform like a podcast or social media or anything like that. You can effectively get started and really promote your science the way you want in that sense. And I think that's what we kind of want to help people with, like how to get started, how to grow it, how to, yeah, promote the the the, the cool science that they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And people also need to think a bit broader about science communication in general. Mm -hmm. Science communication can also be communicating it to another profession. For example, if you are in heart research and you want to uh, keep heart surgeons up to date with their latest research, that's also a fine form of science communication. You don't always have to do it for the 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 normal people the normal the people. audience yeah yeah you know there there are many forms of science communication mm -hmm. and also what we do is science communication where we focus more on other scientists now of course we also have plans to do other types of science communication but we're not gonna talk about that yet <laughs> no spoilers. we have too many plans in that regard yes the the, the laundry list keeps growing oh i know i know i know um so where we currently at we personally is that i am writing my thesis 
and hoping to finish that up in the next couple of months. Are you writing your thesis? I am writing my thesis. (laughs) (laughs) I am. (laughs) I totally am. I made progress. Okay. Okay? okay. I have a lot of podcast stuff to do too, but I am making progress. Um, And you, Jaron, have recently handed in your thesis for approval. So you are getting ready to defend in a couple months. Yes. Should be all fine. Um, And in the meantime, we are trying to grow the struggling scientists even further and expand uh, with more things like the courses and the blogs that we've talked about. And we would also really love to add some uh, new members to our team. So if you know anyone who would love to get into science communication, then check out our website. We have a join our team section that goes into what we are looking for uh, and all the cool things you could be involved in from podcast to design work to video content. We want to do it all. So there's uh, definitely a lot of opportunities to to help out and to just get your feet wet with science communication. Is that a good thing to say? I think so. I mean, I think everyone has gone into a pool at some point. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, for sure. So don't be afraid to reach out to us with that and uh, ask us if you have any questions about joining our team or science communication in general. We'll be yeah. happy to answer that. We hope that we have uh, maybe made you a little bit excited about also doing something like that. And also, if you want to to start your own science communication platform, definitely reach out to us with questions. We are always happy to help. Yeah. And uh, we might recommend you the course. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yes. So with that, we will now be moving on to the Q&A section of this uh, episode. And our fans uh, were allowed to ask us anything. So we have quite a few diverse, diverse topics and questions that we are going to be tackling, I guess. And um, I guess I'm going to start with the first question. Yes. This comes to us from the experimentalist on Twitter. And it's, what has been your most rewarding experience as science communicators or a science podcast host? Suzanne? Well, I would, I would really say that people reach out to the people that reach out to us, that we have helped them in some way with, it can be anything with the memes, the blog, the, the podcast, it doesn't really matter. But anytime I hear that we have made somebody's day a little bit easier, I just feel so happy about that. That's the, the goal. <laughs> No, for sure. I I think I would have to agree with that. I mean, yeah, yeah, I have to agree with that. I'm trying to think of, is there anything else I could add to that? But no, it's honestly every time someone, people in general have reached out to us and it's, I never would have thought, for example, a meme could like cheer someone up on a day, but we've gotten some comments like that. And yeah, it makes your day, I guess, also for us. Yes, for sure. Yes. Okay, next question is from ScienceCore on Twitter. And they asked us what you would change about the PhD funding model. I think it would depend, especially because the the funding model, I guess, is different per country. Oh, for sure. And I think the Dutch one is pretty good. To be yes, honest. no, for sure. I think that we have it pretty good here in Dutchland. So maybe we should go into a little bit what the funding model in the Netherlands is. So in the Netherlands, a PI basically needs to have a grant ready that he got from a funding agency to get a PhD student. And that needs to be covered completely for the duration of their PhD project, basically. Is that, is that not? Then they need to tell you. Yes. Um, and also the funding agencies in the Netherlands have been really focused on making grants specifically uh, in a portion, basically, that is enough to get a PhD student for four years. 
So a lot of grants are there for PhD students. A PI gets them and then he puts an ad out, which is a, basically a vacancy that there, that he has a PhD position and then you apply for that PhD position and then you get chosen for this, what is really a job because you also get paid quite okay for it. In the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, yes. And yeah. I think that is a pretty okay system. Now there's also grants that uh, PhD students can apply for themselves, then they need a PI that sort of backs them. But I would say that's definitely not the standard. The standard is that a PI already has a grant and then you apply for this position. Um, and that is pretty good, I would say. I mean, there's definitely problems mm -hmm. in other areas in the Netherlands, but that works quite well. The downside of it is that the funding agencies have focused so much on the grants for PhD students that it's really hard to get a grant uh, for to have a postdoc as a PI. Yeah. So there's really not a lot of postdoc positions, which is then, of course, a whole another problem yep. um, for this. That's but, a whole yeah. another problem in the funnel of like from PhD to postdoc to PI. One day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, yeah. No, for sure. And I mean, when we went to that one conference uh, from the uh, from ASAP, where we sort of uh, hosted a panel discussion about uh, stuff like that, we also got some feed. We also got to hear, hear some opinions, both from. PhD students, but also from PIs on what they thought about the funding as well. And, you know, there's some tension there in terms of like PIs would want a lot of PIs, all PIs, I think, would want to just offer a full a four, four year position or grant to their PhDs, but not all of them have that that option. And I, I, we still hear about it, right? Like that some some PhD students start out their PhD not knowing whether they'll have their full four years. It still yeah. happens. And a lot of medical uh, PhDs also only have three years. So yeah. it's not always the full four years. But I would say most PhDs in the Netherlands are on mm. a grant that a PI got in, in one package, basically. Yeah, no, for sure. So in that sense, I think... That, of course, puts a lot of pressure on the PI to get all these grants. Mm -hmm. I mean, it causes problems in other areas. But for, sure. for a PhD student, it's quite great. It was. It is quite a quite a... I would say, difficult moment to get your PhD. There's a lot of competition. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's really a job interview that you don't have to go through and you need to impress this PI with something, which is very personal also. Um, but yeah, in terms of life quality, I would say the, the funding model in the Netherlands is quite a good one. Mm -hmm. And it really started out with the, the funding agencies focusing, I think, on P making PhD grants. Yes, for sure. So... Would I change the, the PhD funding model? Well, maybe go for a Dutch-like model. I would recommend that, but yes. I've also not seen any of the other ones. So, Or if you're abroad, come to the Netherlands. Yes. <laughs> or <laughs> some other countries recommend. in Europe as well, I think, have like pretty decent systems. Not, not all of them. All of them no, no. Not, definitely not all of them. Some. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So with that, I guess we'll go on to our next question. Mm -hmm. Why do reviewer comments have to be so mean? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, they're not always mean, right? But it's mm. very difficult to not take it personally. Mm -hmm. And I also feel it's it's the most annoying reviewer comments are the ones where you feel like they really didn't understand what you were going for. Yeah, those those are the most annoying because 
then how do you really answer that? You're just repeating yourself sometimes, but mm-hmm. then you also don't want to make the reviewer feel stupid, basically. Yeah, you don't, definitely but don't like, want to insult them in any yeah. way. No. <laughs> uh, I wrote this down in paragraph six. Yep. Uh, read it again. But no, you cannot do that. So you're sort of like sweet talking them into giving the answer again but at the same time if i read a paper i also don't get all the details in one go and Mm. maybe it means that i haven't made something clear enough yeah and then it needs to be better so there are definitely differences in reviewers i think reviewer two is indeed is often the problem (laughs) the problem child although reviewer three can also be quite annoying Mm -hmm. uh but i don't think they're necessarily trying to be mean um, yeah, well, I, I mean, I have def- for my last paper definitely had a kind reviewer number two, so that that was surprising. Wow! Yeah, they exist. Yes, for sure. Maybe well, they just sure. changed the numbers late last minute. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's also possible. <laughs> the editor was like, "Okay, I'm gonna switch it on number two and three. It, this could also be the the, the outlier reviewer number two that proves the rule. That yeah, proves the exactly. Number two. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but I mean, I also don't think they're necessarily. I don't necessarily think they're trying to be mean. I just think the way that they word stuff, just especially if they're very short and brief, is like do this or why is this? Like, yeah, it can come across as like, but but I tried to answer that already. Yeah, but yeah, no, I get it. It's 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 hard sometimes. Yes. Okay, next question: What kind of stuff did you go through to get the results you present at conferences? Do we have another podcast episode? <laughs> well, we have the the the, the cursed experiment yeah. one that like, yeah, that was an intense one. <laughs> uh, we had working in a weekend mm-hmm. when the roof came falling down, fungus everywhere. Yep. Uh, you even had to go to the emergency room that oh, week. Yeah. It was a complete disaster. Yep. I was crying in the ML two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> It was such a bad, bad week. Uh, note, she doesn't do that often. No, so just, this is not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's important. Yes. I don't normally do that. But yeah, yeah. I, I learned a lot about work-life balance that week. Mm, no, for sure. I, mean, I that... was trying so hard to make this experiment work through roofs falling down in the M01, mm-hmm. water problems in our lab, which made the roof fall down, the airflow wasn't good anymore because what was broken was our air, air filtration system. So all our hoods were not sterile anymore, which meant that I had to take my ML2 cells to another ML2 facility, like over the hallway and like boxes packaged up and everything. And then do my experiment there the next day while I was on the phone constantly with the repair people trying to get everything repaired because I was the only one and you, me and you were there, yep. but nobody else was in the lab. So mm. I did call my PI and he was like, uh, can yeah. you fi- can you call people? And I was like, yes, I can call people. And then while I was pipetting, I was trying to organize that. And then it was absolutely crazy. And then I remember a few days later, I was working on that same experiment and I was pipetting and you called me uh, that the doctor yeah. said that you had to go to the ER. Yeah. And in the end, it was nothing. But at that moment, it was yeah, very, no, sure. very, very stressful. And we didn't come home until very, very late at mm. night. And then they didn't really have answers, but they told me to keep an eye on you. <laughs> and if anything went wrong, we had to go back to the emergency room. But I had an experiment that I needed to do the, the next day. Uh, so I went there and then all my plates were full of fungus. 
And that's the moment that I cried yeah. because I had left you alone at home. Well, the doctor told me that I needed to take care of you and that I needed to watch you. And you were like, no, 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 I will be fine. If anything happens, I will call you. So just go to work. You will be, you will be back soon. Um, and then everything was fungus. My whole experiment that I was already working on for three months had failed. And, and then I cried. And then my PI was so nice and supportive. <laughs> <laughs> it was, oh. Uh, But then that was the moment that I questioned everything Mm -hmm. and that I decided that I need work-life balance. So that's also definitely something you will hear about in our work-life balance course. No, for sure. I mean, I don't have any experience as uh, intense as yours. I still remember like one of the uh, experiments I was doing for a rebuttal of, uh, for a paper. Mm -hmm. Uh, During one of like the worst storms ever, apparently, that would like it was canceling all public transports to, to that I could get home. Oh, yeah. So, like, it was like, okay, I need to finish this thing and go home. And, like, you kind of needed to come pick me up. Because yeah, it was, it was a cold yeah. red situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I was like, okay, no pressure. This is just the entire paper or my life, potentially. Was or... this the one where you tried to go home with public transport, but then got stuck halfway through and I had to save you? Was that that one? No. Oh, that now you're bringing back memories. That, that's a, <laughs> that's one I've buried from like the trauma. I, there was one like yeah, indeed. I I was trying to go home, but I was stuck in Amsterdam for like forever. So you came pick me up. To yeah, pro- because I have a car. I'm one of the rare PhD students here that has a car. Mm-hmm. So I came to save you basically because you were really stuck. You couldn't go back and forth. I think that was a strike moment, right? Yes, they, indeed. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. They suddenly just stopped and you, you couldn't get home until the next day. But yeah, yeah that was But crazy. you've actually brought up another one that I've completely buried in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a day that I was working very late. Um, but I completely missed a part apparently that uh, the trains were having some issues. And this is before we moved in together. So uh-huh. I was still living in Leiden. So I had to take the train back. So I timed it perfectly. Like I looked on the app, like, okay, the train will be leaving around this time. All fine. So I left I left work around, I think, seven or eight o'clock. That's when I just finished my experiment and everything mm-hmm. in the evening. And I was heading to the train, taking the train halfway, like on halfway to Leiden. The train stopped. You couldn't get anywhere anymore. Like you literally could not get to Leiden. So I was just there trying to look up how to get an Uber. Uber prices were steadily increasing <laughs> into like the, the 70, 80 euros for an, an Uber trip. So I was like, it's, oh. yeah. So I just went back to work, stayed there till late in the evening, like 12 past 12, something like that. And then they fixed the trains and then I could go back home. And the next oh. day I came in later. I think also a great uh, example is that you were trying to do revision experiments, I Mm -hmm. guess. And every time there were new fungus infections in in the lab that you were working on in the M1 and 2. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that there was fungus in the duct system that connected the M1 to the M2. So they had to tape off the entire room and fungicide it out. And everybody had to stay away from the lab for 48 hours because it was too toxic. (laughs) I would say that's also a pretty good example of stuff we went through. Yeah, no, we've definitely seen some. (laughs) some stuff during our phd that i'm like if this ever happens again it will be too soon yes no i'm good i won't miss that although Um, it has it it causes great stories no for sure i mean now we can laugh about it sort of (laughs) and bury it in our post-traumatic stress disorder maybe we should make a social media post about the roof falling down to promote this episode we'll talk about that later okay okay (laughs) okay well our last question 
Yeah, so what kind of tips do you have for starting your thesis? And we're going to uh, ask the person who uh, still needs to... Yes, no, 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 that's me. I am I am working on my thesis yeah. and I have the greatest tip ever. Yes. So I have promised myself that I'm going to get a switch if I finish this paper. And that's the only way I'm going to be able to motivate myself. No, I don't know. I really struggle with it mm-hmm. because it's it's one of the last papers I need to do. And on the one hand, I think it's very sad because it is one of the last papers that I need to do. But it's also one of the most difficult papers because it's not 100% finished. Mm-hmm. But I need to write it down for my thesis. And I'm not enjoying products, projects that I'm sort of having to leave behind. Mm-hmm. And I'm just having a lot of emotional trouble with it and getting to sit down and do it. So I I have decided that I'm going to reward myself if I if I manage to get through this process of writing my thesis. Yeah, no, that sounds uh, like a good good advice. Yeah, but you do need to find something that you really, really want. Yes. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah, I, I don't know if I necessarily had something similar going on there. Um, I, I, just had, I think your PI sort of, sort of pressured you into it. <laughs> which in the end worked, I guess. Yes. I mean, deadlines, as much as I hate them, they're getting me through it. Yeah. But yeah, not in a healthy way. Yeah, no, the, those sleepless nights did not were not nice. No, <laughs> but no. I mean, it's over. Well, never over. again. Never again, man. Yeah. Ah, uh, very nice. But yeah, I don't know. I I look back at it as like maybe it's still too early to really have like a a clear emotional response to writing my thesis. I guess, but I guess it's over, sort of, kind of ish. <laughs> Is it? Re- I'm I'm looking forward to the defense, and when that's done, then I can believe it. Yeah, no, for sure. So okay, well, that was our last question, and uh, I have to say, I had a lot of fun looking back at these almost two years now, and we hope maybe we inspired you a little to also get started with science communication. And if you want to do that with us, then definitely reach out to us about becoming a team member or becoming a guest blog writer if you want to do something a little bit more infrequent. So you can find all of our information on our website, which is thestrugglingscientist.com. And you can also follow our social media. Jaron, which one are those again? Yeah, so we are available on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, a little bit on Pinterest and also Mastodon. Yes, great. Okay, well, this was our episode. We hope you enjoyed it. This uh, flashback episode. And uh, we will see you all next time. Yes, please leave us a rating on Apple or Spotify. Ah, yes, that would help us a lot. Yes. Bye. Bye.